morning. Good to, good to see you this morning. <clears throat> My name is Stephen Elliott. I'm the pastor of high school ministries here at Grace. And our senior pastor, John, is not here this morning. He is on a uh, much-needed and well-deserved vacation. But he'll be back next week. Uh, this morning, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be there this morning. This morning I want to talk about the subject of discipleship. I know that last fall, Pastor John preached a series on discipleship called Follow Me, and um, I would really encourage you to go to the website and revisit that series and listen to it. It, it really is good, and uh, it unpacks this topic a whole, in, a, in a whole lot more detail than I'm I'm able to go into this morning, but when I was asked to preach and I was thinking this through, uh, I was trying to, you know, I was thinking through things I'm studying on and things that the Lord's challenging me in, and this text really came to mind. It's, it's one that means a lot to me and one that really inspires me, and I, I think that even though it's something that we have preached on uh, in the last year, it's a, it's a topic that I think is very critical that we come back to and that we revisit again. The, the call for us to, to follow Christ and to be disciples of Him is one that is a call that we all have. It is, it is absolutely critical, and it's something that we, uh, we cannot afford to lose sight of. It's one that we can't afford to miss. In the age of exploration, uh, you know, with guys like that you studied about in fourth grade, guys like Columbus and Magellan and Cabrillo and, and all of those uh, great sailors and explorers, uh, they didn't have GPS units. They didn't, you know, pull out their GPS and plot their coordinates or type it into the computer and their ship just went to where they were supposed to go. Uh, in, in the age of exploration, it was all very... Um, very early technology, and so they, they had these tools, these instruments. Um, in, in the early, early days, they had a thing called an astrolabe, and years later, they developed this thing called a sextant, and it was a, it was a tool to, div, to discern and to, uh, for them to learn where their latitude was out in the ocean. There was no physical landmarks anywhere, and with all the currents and the wind and the waves and everything, it was really easy for a ship to get blown off course, for them to start, start out in one direction with one place and one goal in mind, and uh, over a series of weeks and months, all of those little uh, movements and changes in the environment around them can very, could very, very easily blow them off course, and they would end up somewhere totally other than where they desired to be. And so they'd use these tools, and the, the design of them was that you would aim one part of the tool at a, at a constant object. In the, in the daytime, they would aim at the sun at noon, and the other part of the tool, they would aim at the horizon, and the distance between those would give them a certain number of degrees, and that would help them to learn where the, what their latitude was. And if they were off, then they would make corrections, and ultimately they would end up pretty, pretty close to their goal. And at night, they would aim at the North Star, because that's a constant uh, spot in the sky. And again, they would aim at the, at the horizon. As Christians, I think it's important that we do that. I think, it's, I think it's absolutely critical that we learn to take those constant readings, those constant self-readings. You see, these guys, they didn't do it just once every couple of weeks. It's like, oh yeah, time to take a read and figure out where they're, where they're at. They would do it uh, several times a day, because those little changes 
can become big changes over a period of time. And so we as Christians, even though I think we've talked about this topic recently, it is important that we come back to it over and over. And even more so than that, it is important that we as individuals learn and develop the discipline of, of continually taking readings in our own hearts and in our own lives and realizing, am I getting off track? Am I not following Christ like I'm supposed to? Am I not following Christ like he's calling me to, like, I'm, like, like what it is described in, in Scripture? And so this morning I want us to, uh, to stop and to really pray through this and to really take a reading and see, you know what, where, where am I not the disciple that I should be? Where am I not walking with Christ like I'm supposed to, like he's calling me to? So again, we're in Mark. We're going to be reading chapters, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. Mark says this, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who's later Peter, Jesus calls him Peter, uh, Simon Peter and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The main point in, in Mark is trying to il- the, the main point that Mark is trying to illustrate here which he does through this story, is that a call to follow Jesus is a call to be a disciple and a disciple maker. Let me say that again. The call to follow Jesus is a call, is a command to be a disciple and a disciple maker. Mark illustrates that through this story. He's not just telling random stories about Jesus, but he's very purposeful in his intent. He tells this story for a reason because he wants to communicate the valuable, the the radical truth of what it means to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What Jesus does here is really a radical thing in how he, in, in just the fact that he calls his disciples. In this day and age, this wasn't this in and of itself of, of this teacher, this rabbi having disciples uh, wasn't a new thing. In fact, that was, that was quite common. The religious leaders, the teachers, the rabbis, they would have disciples. They would have uh, younger men who had hopes and ambitions to, to be future, to in one day in the future be a rabbi, to be a teacher, to be a, um, a leader. But these young men would follow and they would, they would follow the rabbi, they would try and learn from him, and they were, it was in a sense, uh, they would candidate for the position of being a disciple of the rabbi. They would, they would try to prove that they had what it took, that they had enough, the, the mental capacity, the ability, the determination uh, to really follow uh, the rabbi, to be a student of the teacher. In our day and age, a student is just somebody who you know, a, a younger person who sits in a classroom, who goes to school. Uh, but you teachers in the, the audience would know that there is a major difference between a student, a true student, and one that just occupies a seat and a desk in your class. A true student is one who drinks in the knowledge and the wisdom that the teacher teaches. And in this day, a disciple wasn't one who just listened to the teacher, wasn't one that just was... was 
excited about learning, one that just soaked in the knowledge and the information. But these disciples lived with the teacher. These disciples followed the teacher. Uh, their, their desire, their goal was ultimately to become like the teacher. But as I said, they would candidate. They would apply for the position. There was a probation period where the, the teacher may or may not select them if they didn't have what it took, if they weren't good enough. They would choose to follow the teacher, the rabbi. But Jesus flips everything around by calling these men to him, by him approaching them and saying, hey, I see something in you. You follow me, and I'll make you become like me. I'll make you become fishers of men. And Jesus does that to us too, and we're not meant to just sit back and read this story. We're meant to jump into the middle of it. We're meant to see, you know what? Jesus called me too. So Jesus calls James... John, Peter, and Andrew, but he calls you and he calls me. And this morning, I want you to remember the time and the day and the experience and what it was like when Jesus called you to follow him. Where were you? Who was involved? Who was around there? For me, I was young. I was in a Sunday school class, and I remember the teacher. Couldn't remember her name. I wish I could. Um, But I remember her explaining the gospel. I remember her explaining what it meant to be a Christian. Uh, the fact that we all need Jesus into our life. We all are called and we all have this, uh, this, this emptiness and Jesus is the only one that can fill it. And I remember hearing that and I remember thinking about it later and I remember realizing, you know what? What she was talking about, I don't have. There's something missing. And I remember praying and giving my life to Christ. I didn't know in that moment, I didn't realize all that was involved in that. I didn't realize everything that, what that meant and what that demanded. I grew to learn that more and more. I grew to understand more and more what it meant to follow Christ. But that was my moment. And I encourage you to to remember and reflect back on what was yours, on what yours was. It's important to know what a disciple is this morning, so I want to take a minute and define that. Uh, in, in our world, many people like Jesus. Many people are fans of Jesus. Many people respect Jesus and respect his teaching. Many would claim to be a Christian. They would claim that Jesus is their Lord. They would even say that they pray to prayer. Many would appreciate his sacrifice. But a call to be a follower is a call to be a disciple. It's a call to be transformed, to be changed into something completely different. A disciple, in this sense, as Jesus defines discipleship, isn't one who simply learns the information that the teacher knows. They learn to live their life like the teacher. They become like like him. It's not a transition, it's a transformation. It's not a transition of what we do. It's not... Like, okay, I'm a Christian, now that means on Wednesday nights, instead of staying home and watching Survivor, I go to Awana. Instead of staying home on Sunday and watching football, I go to church. Uh, Instead of, you know, doing this, now I do that. It's not a transition, it's a transformation of who we are. Our very, as, as followers of Christ, as disciples, our very nature changes into something different. Pastor John said several weeks ago, he says, we are all called to Jesus as we are, but none of us are allowed to stay as we are. You see, when we come to Christ, there is a transformational process that takes place ongoingly, increasingly, from the day we give our life to the Christ to the day we go to be with him. That transformational process must continue. And that transformational process is picked up in verse 17. And Jesus says, 
I will make you become. He's, he's indicating the, the, the words uh, there really communicate that there is a transformation that takes place. He's saying, you were this, but I will make you become fishers of men. As you follow me, I will transform who you are. Becoming a disciple of Christ is a surrender of one's life to the master. It's a surrender to allow him to change our very nature. It begins at salvation. Yes, it begins when we pray a prayer, but it continues through our whole life. And to say that you and I are saved simply because we pray a prayer and that's it, misses discipleship completely if we are not being transformed ongoingly. And Mark teaches us four things about discipleship through this text and through this story. He teaches the truths of discipleship through it. Number one, if you're taking notes, is that a disciple follows when Jesus calls. A disciple follows when Jesus calls. You read this story, and if you read the first 15 verses before it, you see that this is the first time in this story that Jesus and interacts with these guys, that, that they are confronted with Jesus. And so a reader of the story could, would easily look at this and say, Really? That's, that's it? You are just doing your job, you're going about your day, and this guy walks up out of nowhere and says, you follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. I will make you like me. And they drop their nets and they go. They don't argue. They don't say something like, well, who are you? <laughs> Show me your credentials, buddy. Or, well, I don't know, uh, you know, let's, let's kind of try it out first and see how it goes. Let's, you know, uh, figure some things out, you know, hang on, let me get my, you know, let me finish out my work day, let me get my affairs in order, and then I'll, you know, then, then we're good. They just drop their nets, their livelihood, and they follow him. A reader's supposed to look at that and go, yes. We're called to look at this story and say, yes, that's what it means to be a disciple, that when the master calls, when Jesus says, come, we go. When the master calls us to him, we follow. When he tells us to do something, we do it. We don't question. We obey. We do what he calls us to do. We do it because he's good. We do it because he is God, because he is Lord. If we read in, in Luke's gospel and in John's gospel, we realize that these men did actually have some interaction with Jesus, that they had some prior understanding of who he was. Uh, and John reveals that these men actually, um, before this, were disciples of John the Baptist, that they, that they had some, you know, that John the Baptist pointed them to Jesus. <clears throat> but the reality and what Mark is trying to communicate is that when the master calls, we follow. A disciple follows when Jesus calls. What is there in your life that Jesus is calling you to? Is there something you're called to give up? Is there something you're called to do? Place you're called to go? Something you're called to be? What is the master calling you to? I know it's so easy. It's so easy to justify. Maybe it's a conversation you're supposed to be having with somebody. Maybe there's forgiveness that you know you need to offer. What is it? We are called as disciples to follow when Jesus calls. When Jesus commands, we obey. We're not called to justify. We're not called to argue, to make excuses to justify it by doing other things. This is a difficult thing in it to accept in our culture. We really want to have both. We want to be saved. We want to call Jesus Lord, and yet we want to remain as we are and where we are. We don't want to obey when the master calls us to leave things that are comfortable, to leave things that are convenient, to leave things that make us feel good, to leave things that we like, to leave things that are familiar. But when the master calls, we go.
Your second point, if you're taking notes, is that a disciple follows Jesus above all else. A disciple follows Jesus above all else. How many of you parents or maybe teachers or employers or managers have ever been in this situation, this scenario? Uh, you give the person under you a task, your, your kid or your, you know, a student, something. You give them a task, an assignment, a chore maybe, and you typically give them a timeline to do it in, right? You say, I need you to clean your room by the end of the day. You know, so first thing tomorrow morning, I should walk in and you should have a clean room uh, or, or whatever by dinner time, or, you know, tomorrow this assignment is due or by the end of the day, I need you to take care of this task. And that time frame ends and you, you go and you check in on if the task is completed and it's not done. You confront the person, you say, um, wasn't this supposed to happen? And then they try and justify not doing the thing they're called to do. Some of you guys are laughing. I know. <laughs> Clearly, you've never done those things. It's always somebody else, right? I know I'm in that boat. I've never done that with my parents. Uh, and you, and, and instead they say, oh, well, I didn't, get, I didn't get this done because I was doing this, or I had all of these other things come up, and they try and justify it. Well, yeah, I didn't do this job, but I did this, 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 and this. Um, I, I think we do that with God a lot of times. There are things that God is calling us to do, and we are not doing them, not necessarily because we are doing bad things, but because we are doing other things that we think are good and therefore okay. These guys that... That, that Jesus called, they weren't in some deep, dark life of sin when Jesus called them to follow him. It's not like they were sitting by the Sea of Galilee selling drugs or something like that. They were doing a good thing. These guys were fishermen. They were in a job, in a profession, which they weren't just fishing for themselves. They weren't just, you know, kind of getting enough food for themselves. They were, they were helping feed a community. They were doing a good, honest, respectable job. It was something that people appreciated, a people that, something that people looked up to. Many, like many in our congregation are involved in agriculture and dairy and things like that. They are helping feed a community. And furthermore, as, as I said, other texts reveal, other books reveal that, that these guys were, um, you know, that they, that they had had interaction with Jesus before, that they were following John the Baptist. These were very religious, godly men. They loved the Lord. They were doing good things. And despite all of the good things that they were doing as fishermen, they were called by Jesus to drop that and begin to follow him. They were called to drop their good things and do the greatest thing and obey and follow him. Is your church involvement limited because of the good things you are committed to? Is your time with the Lord in prayer in reading of God's word and meditating on his word, limited because of the chores or exercise or TV shows or social media that you are doing, that you are filling your time with. There are good things out there that will take us away from the greatest thing. There are good things that will rob our time. There, will, there are good things out there that will keep us from following Jesus Christ, and we have to be aware of that. These disciples followed Jesus above everything else, above the good things that they were doing. We have to be aware of, of those traps. Number three is that a disciple follows Jesus no matter the cost. A disciple follows Jesus no matter the cost. Mark very cleverly and very subtly points out some distinctions between Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and James and John. Uh, if, if you look in verse 16, you'll see that 
it says that, that Jesus is walking along the shore, and it says Peter and Andrew were, were casting their nets out into the, out into the water because they were fishermen. And then it says he's walking along a little farther, and he sees James and John, and they're in their boat mending their nets, and they're with their father Zebedee, and they're with the hired servants. Fishermen in this day, is, as a startup business, they couldn't, they couldn't usually typically afford to purchase a boat. Uh, they would have to, you know, their first order of business was to get a net. And they would, you know, some, someone who didn't have a whole lot of revenue income, they would just uh, wade out as deep as they could into the side of the water, and they would throw the net out there as far as they could, and they would let the net sink, and they would pull it in and try and gather up fish. And this was just a, you know, it, it was kind of a, a, a very... Uh, hard, basic process, and that was, that was them. Uh, but a, a fisherman that was a little more well-established could afford a boat. And so he's pointing out that there is a financial difference between Peter and Andrew and James and John. He's saying not only do James and John, they're with their father's Zebedee, so this is a family business. This is a business that's being handed down to them. Not only do they have enough money, enough income and revenue to afford a boat, but not only that, they have hired servants. They are they have some financial security here, and they are walking away from all of that in order to follow Christ and in order to be obedient to Him. Furthermore, it says that, that James or that, that Peter and Andrew, it says they leave their nets and follow Jesus. And then it says that James and John leave their father, Zebedee, and follow Jesus. I think what Mark is really emphasizing here is what was of greatest value to both of those brothers. What was most costly to them to follow Jesus? Uh, what was of greatest worth to those two sets of brothers? One was their net, their income, their livelihood, their business. The other was their father, their relationship, their, their time that they were able to spend with him. They were willing to, both those men were willing to sacrifice what was of greatest worth and greatest value. For James and John, there was, there was more at life. On, on stake here. There was, there was more money, more income, but they were both willing to walk away from that to follow Jesus. So my question to you is, what's your net? What is your situation? What is, what is that that is of greatest value, of greatest worth to you? It could be money. It could be financial security. It could be stuff. It could be material things. It could be a relationship that is of greatest value to you, are you willing? Is that keeping you from following Jesus? Is that keeping you from truly being a follower, truly being a disciple of him? If that's the case, then we have to be willing to sacrifice that in order to truly follow him. David Platt, who's a pastor and author and speaker, look him up on YouTube. He's, he's a really great speaker. He says, Christianity, which costs us nothing, produces the same. Christianity, which costs us nothing, produces the same. Later, he says, the cost of discipleship is great, but I am convinced that the cost of non-discipleship is much greater. The cost of discipleship is great, but I am convinced that the cost of discipleship is, of, of cost of non-discipleship is much greater. And that is so true. Let me tell you, if you give your life to following Jesus, if you truly commit to being a follower, to being a disciple of him, it is the greatest life possible. Will there be costs? Absolutely. Will it require and demand great things of you? Absolutely. But it is absolutely worth it. Be careful. Hobbies, things, accomplishments, those things do not satisfy. 
people are excited. I know what it's like. You're excited to get something. I know what it's like. You know, I'm sure you're, you've been there too. You're shopping around on the internet. There's that thing that you just can't wait to get. And once you get it, it is, oh, that's so exciting. And, you know, once you accomplish that, once you, once you save up enough money and you order that, oh, man, it, gets in, it comes in the mail and you open it up, oh, so great. And you're thinking about it and you're looking at it and you're imagining how you're going to use it. And then how long before it sits in the corner? How long before it ends up in a yard sale? And you're bartering with people for it over, you know, how much is that? Three dollars. I'll give you 275 for it. Fine. And they hand you three bucks and they want a quarter change. I hate yard sales. It's like that. You know, how long before that's, that's what it ends up like? Those things don't satisfy. The only thing that will truly satisfy, following Jesus Christ. Number four, a disciple is a disciple maker. A disciple is a disciple maker. Look at verse 17. Jesus not only calls these men to follow him, but he tells them that he will transform them into people who will bring others to him as well. That's incredible. He doesn't just say, hey, fall in line behind me. I'll I'll take care of everything. But you, you follow me and I will make you, just as I am calling you to me, I will make you into someone that calls others to me, that brings people out of darkness and into light. I will make you into someone that will be a disciple. I will turn you into, into a disciple who is also a disciple maker. I will use you. I will use you to draw others to me. Being a disciple maker isn't some kind of like optional part of being a disciple. I, have you ever signed up for something and they say, well, here's the, you know, for like a TV or a phone bill plan or, you know, satellite dish or something like that. And they always say, well, here's the, here's the starter plan. Uh, this, is, this is the basic package. And then, but if you sign up for, you know, an extra $5 a month starting out fee, and then after you sign on the deadline, like the next month, it's jacked up to like, you know, 60 bucks a month. And you're like, what the heck? Uh, you, you sign up for this, you know, and then, but you can upgrade to the, to the premium package or the gold plan or the platinum plan or, or whatever. Following Jesus isn't like that. It's not like, okay, I, I sign up and I'm saved and that's like the starting package. But for the really committed, there's the, the gold plan and that's a disciple maker. And that's for you who are really interested in following Jesus. That is not the case with following Christ. Being a disciple maker isn't an optional part of being a disciple. They are one in the same thing. If you are a disciple of Christ, you are called to also be a disciple maker. You don't get to make excuses for not investing in somebody else, for not reaching out and drawing other people to him. A call to be a disciple is a call to make disciples. This call is something that really, if you look at the scriptures is something that really bookends Jesus' ministry. He starts out by calling disciples, by calling his disciples, and he says, I will make you fishers of men. And then what's the very last thing he says before he leaves earth in Matthew? He says, now you go and make disciples. You go and make disciples of all nations. It is the first and the last of his ministry. And this isn't just for these 12 men. This isn't just for these disciples. This is for us as well, and we've got to see that. So how do we do that? How do we make that happen? How do we, how do we make disciples? Real easy. There's lots of places, lots of ways. I spoke to Kathleen this week. This was, this was clearly on my mind, uh, this, this text. Kathleen let me know that she needs 38 spots in children's ministries this summer to have classrooms that are open, where kids 
want to come and hear about Jesus, where kids want to come and hear from God's Word. She needs 38 spots. Now, what I mean by that is if one person commits one hour, one service, uh, one day, one Sunday, between now and September, that's one spot filled. So if, obviously if someone commits you know, every other Sunday from now until the end of summer, that number goes down dramatically. And, that's, and, and if, if someone's willing and only able to commit one, one hour, one Sunday in the whole summer, then, then fine, we'll take it. We, you know, we need somebody to tell these kids about Jesus. But folks, one hour, one Sunday in a summer, that's not discipleship. That's babysitting. That's a need, and if that's available, fine. But that's not discipleship. We are called to be disciple makers. That means we invest our lives into the next generation. That means we invest our lives into younger believers, people that need to have models, need, people that need to have someone pointing them to Jesus and saying, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Let me invest my life into you. Let me show you and model day in and day out, week after week, of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Let me tell you about a few disciple makers, and this is not all of them, because I know that there's, there's so many people here that serve so faithfully and so diligently. But I want to tell you about a few folks. Bill Hoover. Bill Hoover has served in junior high ministry for 14 years every Sunday. That's incredible. He was serving before the current junior hires were even born. Dan Ross has been serving in junior high ministry for 16 years. Again, same thing. That's, that's incredible. You know how many students that's, they've seen come up and, you know, and some, they've seen return in serving in junior high ministry. Can you imagine what that means for those young leaders to see, okay, the guys that, I was, that were my leaders when I was young, they're still here serving. You know what that communicates to people? Lynn Olson has taught in the three-year-old's class here at Grace for 20 years. I remember my, my wife has told me that she remembers being a junior high helper in teacher Lynn's class when she was, you know, in, in junior high. Do you know what that means for, uh, do you think my wife didn't pick up on some things just watching teacher Lynn serving and loving these kids week in and week out? Those are things that, that bless me. Patsy Turner is taught almost exclusively in kindergarten at Grace for 26 years. Mike Pelkey has served in Awana for 31 years. That's incredible. In the first service, by the way, I said 25 years. I was wrong about that, and I was, thankfully someone corrected me. 31 years. LaSalle Yale has served in Awana for 22 years. John and Wava Clark have served in high school ministry for 18 years. Those are folks, and like I said, there are so many more of you out there who serve so faithfully and diligently week in and week out quietly serve and invest in the kingdom. That's discipleship. That's what discipleship looks like. That is investing in the next generation. There is a, a desperate need to fill spots as teachers, but there is an even more desperate need to fill the role of disciple makers. This generation is increasingly walking away from the Lord, and I'm sure you don't need to spend very much time on, on the internet or in the news just to see uh, you know, turn on MTV, <laughs> and you'll see our youth culture is continually being pulled away from the things of the, of the Lord, from the truths that we know and love. But I think that they are being pulled away not so much because the pull from our culture is strong, but because we are letting them be pulled, because we are not pulling back, because we are not fighting by investing ourselves into these young lives. We complain about it and say, oh, you know, 
kids aren't what they used to be, you know, oh, this culture, you know, I remember when we used to be respectful and, you know, and, and, and love the Lord and didn't work on Sundays and all those things. We say that, but are we fighting back? Are we investing in individuals? Are we investing in young lives? The call to be a disciple and the call to be a disciple maker are not two different things. They are one and the same. And it's not, you look at it and you think, oh, I, I don't have all the right skills and all the talents and all the gifts. And we can, we can make excuses. Listen, this is what the need is. Just invest your life. Show them what it means to be a follower of Christ. Show them what it looks like. Say, you know what? This is, this is I'm, I'm going to model this to you. On Wednesday, we had our, our eighth grade luau where in, in high school where we welcome in the, the current uh, eighth grade class, the upcoming freshmen, and we uh, say, you know, welcome to high school ministry, and we have a barbecue and luau, and there's a pool, even though it was freezing on Wednesday, so not too many swam. But, uh, and we bring a few high schoolers there to, as grunt labor to help set up volleyball nets and to, to welcome the students. Um, and Isaiah Holt was there, and he's a junior, going to be a senior. And I'm talking to the, the eighth grade boys, and they're squirrely and hilarious. And, and uh, he walks up to him, and this is all he does. He goes, hey, you know, I need to tell you boys that... Uh, when I was an eighth grader at the Luau, we threw Stephen Elliott in the pool. And that's a tradition, so you better keep it. And then he walks away. Well, like within five minutes, I ended up in the pool. I took two junior hires in with me, and I warned them. I said, you guys might get me, but I'm going to go down fighting. And uh, Dylan was here as one of them. That's right. Had his wallet in his pocket. <laughs> but uh, all that Isaiah did was just say, hey, this is what it means to be at the 8th grade level. This is what's expected of you. You better, you better fall in line. You better make this happen. We need to do the same thing as followers of Christ. We might not do everything perfectly, but we need to have a willingness to just invest in young lives and say, hey, you know what? Let me show you what it means to be a follower of Christ. Let me model this to you. Let me love you and show you and care for you and invest in your life. The fact that these men were fishermen reveals that they didn't pursue a calling to be a religious teacher. Uh, it, reveal, it reveals that they, didn't, they weren't disciples of some rabbi. They didn't have what it takes, have what it took to be, a, to be a rabbi at this time. And Jesus used them regardless. You might look at yourself, you might look in the mirror and think, oh, I don't, I don't have what it takes. You know what these guys had? They had a heart that said, yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll become like you, and I'll help others do the same thing. This morning, we're going we're gonna to pray, and, we're, and after that, you'll be dismissed, but uh, I'll be up here and some other pastors and elders, and, uh, you know, maybe you've never followed Christ. Maybe he's always been someone that you see from a distance. Make today the day that you start following Jesus, uh, or maybe you've realized, you know what, I'm, I'm way off course, and I want to get back on course. I want to start, I, I don't, I don't want to be someone that just observes Jesus. I want to I get back to being a follower of him. You can do that today. I encourage you to come up here and pray. We pray for us. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this great opportunity that we have to, to look at your word, uh, to come back to our first calling to follow you. Uh, may we follow you more, more closely, more diligently. May we bring others to, uh, along with us. May we help inspire others to do the same. Lord, we love you. Thank you for calling us. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.